It's good to be with you today on this rainy Sunday morning. How many of you love rainy mornings? There's a few of you out there. Wonderful. I'm one of those guys. I love, I love a rainy day. I wouldn't want to have to work in it, but I love a rainy day. So, uh, and I didn't enjoy driving in it today. I was a little worried about uh, traffic, but anyway, we're here. I hope you have your Bibles with you today. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want to preach to you today about living right side up in an upside down world. Living right side up in an upside down world. Any Jeep owners in the sanctuary today? I, I enjoy those uh, window decals on the front windshield of Jeeps. You've probably seen them. They will... Uh, They'll have a little, uh, a little slogan that says, if you can read this, roll me over. And uh, sometimes in our world today, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm living upside down in a world that's the other way. And uh, as a Christian, uh, what we want to know how to do is how to live right side up in an upside down world. Um, and I think we have some insight here. I know we have some insight for us here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, verses uh, 1 through, uh, we're going to read a little bit here, but uh, I want to focus really on verse 7 this morning, and I hope you'll keep your copy of the scriptures open. As I open this, I'm thinking about the opening lines to Charles Dickens' classic novel, A Tale of Two Cities. You remember those opening lines? It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief, it was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. Dickens wrote, we had everything before us, we had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven we were all going direct the other way. And he, he starts with those contrasting statements describing really not two cities as such, but um, really the, the culture around him. Of course, he was referencing Paris and London, but uh, during the French Revolution, just the, the social ills uh, that were plaguing culture at that time. And you and I, as we hear those words, can realize that it wasn't just in Dickens' culture, but we kind of live, we, we feel some of that, don't we, as we look at our world today in which we live. So my question is, how can I live my best Christian life in a world that maybe is in the worst of times? How do I avoid the extremes of underreacting or overreacting as a Christian uh, as a Christ follower? How can I live right side up in an upside down world? Well, let's get to the passage here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's start at verse 6. I think I'll start there. Paul writes, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel 
by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he began, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The verse I want to focus on is this phrase, verse 7. God, as his children, God has given to us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's get into that and see what, how God wants us to live. How should I live in these times? Well, as a Christ follower, I can navigate the swirling chaos around me by developing a biblical mindset and then just approaching all of life from that framework. I want to develop, I want to, I want to learn to think and process what's coming at me from culture from a biblical foundation, which is really what the word is going for here in this verse 7. Paul said, God has given us a spirit. Now, it's a, it's a small capital, it's, it's a small s, spirit. The word really means God has put something within me. The spirit of a person is really what's at the center of their life. It's, it's who we are. It's, it's who I am at my core. And who I am is directly linked to how I think, to what I think. Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so we're not surprised to learn that this word spirit here in 2 Timothy 1.7 probably could be also translated as our mental disposition. God has given us, could I say it this way, God has given us a mindset. God has given us a mindset. As Christians, God is, is giving us a mindset. And that mindset or that way of thinking translates then into how I live my life. Specifically, how I meet the challenges of world events, of the daily news reports. Uh, that mindset guides me in my decisions, in the way I react and act to things that are a part of my immediate context. It guides me in navigating the thousand and one ways that I am able to respond uh, as either an unbeliever or a Jesus follower, it guides me in that. The mindset that we're called to here is described as being, if you notice, look at it, it's described as being absent of one characteristic, fear, while being beautifully balanced by three other frameworks or components that hold our thoughts together and the way we approach life. Notice the scripture first challenges us to remove unhealthy fear from our mindset. God gave us a spirit, not a fear, Paul writes. So if you're taking notes, I would write, first of all, the Bible calls me to replace cowardice with confidence. God wants his children not to live cowering in fear, but living confidently in faith. Amen? I love the song selections today. 
You, I know that the minister of music got the music from the Lord, and it just helped confirm to me that if he got the mind of the Lord, then I must have too, because we're talking about the same thing today, in worship, music, and in the Word today. God calls us, the Bible calls us, to replace cowardice with confidence. The word fear here in our text is a word that really means timidity, tentative, living, fearfulness, cowardice. And this kind of fear, this cowardice, the Bible routinely calls us to confront in our lives and remove it from our lives or maybe replace it in our lives. Let me give you some references to fear and what I want you to notice when I do this is that every time the word fear appears in these verses, it is juxtaposed or it is, it is contrasted by faith. In other words, faith is the antidote to fear in our lives. Listen, Matthew chapter 8, verse 26, Jesus said to the disciples, Why are you afraid, O ye of little that's right. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So you see there, faith and fear, Jesus believes and teaches, cannot coexist in our lives. Let me give you another example. Mark chapter 4, verse 40. Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? In Revelation, as uh, the book is, is concluding in, verse, in chapter 21, verse 8. Here's what the writer says. As for the cowardly or the faithless, and then he lists a bunch of other sins, uh, murderers, sexually immoral, idolaters, liars, etc. They will have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. That is the second death. And what I notice in that is that he says those who are cowardly, he describes and qualifies as saying they are faithless. And what our text is saying this morning is that we are called to replace cowardice with courage. Now, aren't there things that are happening in our broader world today that can induce and prompt fear? Absolutely. Yes. Are there things happening in your, in your life today that are causing you to struggle with this emotion, this this paralysis of fear, yes. I, I don't know your context, but I'm certain. And we are all, the human experience is pretty common, right? I mean, we all have some challenging situations from time to time in our lives. So the answer is here, uh, and really what, what I'm saying is fear is a natural response, isn't it? So to say live without fear is like, uh, that's kind of like being inhuman. So why does the Bible call me to check my fear then? If, if fear is a natural response to a perceived threat, why does the Bible call us to say, check that fear? And why does Paul say God has not called us to have a spirit of fear? The answer is because of the detriment that fear causes in our life where it's allowed to exist unchecked. Fear, fear diminishes if not destroys faith. That's one reason. Fear marginalizes God's plan. It silences God's voice in my life. How many of you understand that when I'm listening to the voice of fear, I'm tuning out the voice of God's power and presence in our life, right? 
Fear separates, isolates, and alienates the members of the body in the church. Fear paralyzes optimism. Fear stifles creativity. Fear impedes progress. Fear makes the status quo the MO. Fear kills life. Fear is not God's plan for us as his children. So we're acknowledging that fear is real, but the Spirit teaches, the Scripture teaches fear can't rule in our lives. Must not be allowed to rule. So feeling all that uh, fear isn't a bad thing. We've said that. It's a part of the human experience. Uh, when we're not in control, when we don't know the future, when we need help, we fear. You know what? The Bible acknowledges that. I love that the Bible doesn't call us to be superhuman. The Bible acknowledges that you and I have fear in our life. Listen to this Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4. When I am afraid. Not if. When. I mean, the Bible just assumes it's going to happen to us, right? When I am afraid, but listen, here's what it says. I, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. I put my trust in God, verse 4, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Now what you have to see in that verse is the progression. He says, when I'm afraid, I acknowledge it, I'm afraid. But when I am, I, I choose by the power of God at work in me to put my trust in him and not in the situation. And in God, in his word, I praise, and in God, I trust. And, then, and he said, here's what happens. Then I will not be afraid. So that's how we transition from replacing our cowardice, our cowardice with confidence or replacing our fear with faith in God. The Bible teaches us that fear is a reality in our lives, but our text teaches us that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So what do we do? We acknowledge that fear is real, but Scripture teaches it can't rule. How do we deal with fear? Secondly, we redirect fear away from situations that are out of our control, and we direct that fear to the God who is in control. If you were to take a, a, a sheet of paper today and draw a circle, and outside that circle you would write all the things that I cannot control. And then you would write on the inside of that circle the things I can control. Likely the things that are causing us to be tempted to live in fear are going to be by and large outside of that circle. And so we have to, we have to redirect our fear away from the situations out of our control to the God who is in control. Fear not, someone has said, is one of the most repeated commands in the Bible. And for good reason, because we do not live in a godless world or a world where God has his hands tied behind his back. If we did, then we'd have little hope and certainly we'd have ample reasons to fear. But we live in a world, church, where God is really there. He is actually in control of everything. I mean, he knew what was going to happen in the Middle East like thousands of years ago. And he wrote about it in the book that you're holding in your lap today or in your hand today. God saw all of that coming together. He's, he's not surprised 
by what we're surprised or alarmed by. He's not. Many times in Psalms, however, even though fear not is an often command, oft-given command, many times in the Psalms the word fear is actually, I discovered in this study, is taken positively. As in it's something we should do. So wait, 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 Dwayne, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth up there this morning. Well, stay with me. Fear, many times in the Psalms, is in a positive context, and it's, it's suggested that this is, this is something we should do. And the amount of times that this is so is really overwhelmingly on the side of fear being a positive, praiseworthy action in the life of a believer. Let me, uh, let me just give you some statistics from uh, the Psalms about this. So the psalmist uses the word fear 78 times in the book of Psalms. Only a few times of those 78 is the word fear used as something to avoid or as a negative feeling. Like Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. But many times the word fear is used as a positive right feeling. And in those references where it's used as a positive or right way to feel, Fear is used in the context of fearing the Lord. For example, Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all those who practice the fear of the Lord have a good understanding. In other words, apparently we are, we are biblically lopsided if we believe fear itself is always bad because God doesn't. God just says you need to redirect your fear. You need to put your fear in the Lord, your confidence in the Lord. And of course, now we're starting to understand, okay, so fear doesn't mean be afraid of God. It means have a right respect for Him. Have a right reverence for God. See Him in His rightful place. Regard Him for who He is. So what does that all mean? It means that when I'm discussing, you fill in the blank, whatever is in my life, and when I'm, when I'm thinking about fear, the answer is merely to not fear, but the fuller response as a Christian is to redirect my fear. I'm to take that feeling of fear and recognize that the same, I'm not in control and I need help feeling that we get from a situation that is beyond our control should really be directed toward God who is a God that we reverence and regard as being high and lofty and above it all and able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think to ask. So the question here really isn't do you fear, it's what or who are you fearing? Where are those feelings of I need help directed? Are they focused on the life circumstance or are my feelings of fear bringing me to God as in Psalm, what time I am afraid I will trust, I will choose to trust in the Lord. So how do I live as a Christian in challenging times? Number one, I understand that the way I think is going to determine how I act. Number two, I acknowledge that fear is real, but Scripture teaches it can't rule. Number three, I redirect fear away from situations that are out of control, and I direct that fear to the God who is in control. Which means then that I live by faith. I commit to choosing trust over terror. Faith in 
is confidence in God. Faith is trusting in God. And that's what Psalm 115 verse 11 really says, and it balances everything out that I'm saying. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. Doesn't that tie it up nicely? You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. The only way I could have a proper respect of, of fear for God is I know who he is. I mean, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, what did he do? Hey, God, party time, fist bump. No, no, no. He falls down and he says, woe is me. I'm unworthy to be in your presence. But if I can see God that high and transcendent, then I can also have confidence when I enter into a relationship of trust with him, I can say, this God who is high and holy and above it all, I can trust him with the problems of my life that are out of control. So as a Christian living right side up in an upside down world, I pray for a mindset of not cowardice in the circumstance, but of confidence in God, which is really what the text calls us to, right? God gave us a spirit, not of fear, he says, look at it, verse 7, but of power, power. The word is dunamis. Literally, it means force, miraculous power, strength, might, ability. In Vincent's word studies, he said, this matter of power that God gives us is the power to overcome all obstacles and to face all dangers. It is closely linked to the sense of boldness. Boldness, courage. The word dunamis, or power, is found in all of Paul's letters, all of his epistles, except for Philemon. And when the word dunamis is used, more times than not, the verse links power directly to God. For example, Romans 1, 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Just working our way through the epistles. 1 Corinthians 2, 5. So that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power linking it of God. Paul writes. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power, this is God speaking, my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Philippians 3.10, That I may know him or God and the power of his resurrection. Colossians 1.11, Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. The power source is not us powering up and powering through. It's in us going down in humility and trusting God in faith over fear and then tapping into a source of power that knows no Limits. That's a pretty good way to live, isn't it? In a world that's upside down? I think so. William Barclay said, In true Christians there is the power to cope, the power to shoulder the back-breaking task, the power to stand firm when faced with shattering situation, the power to retain faith when confronted by the soul-destroying sorrow, and the wounding disappointment, he said Christians are characteristically people who could pass the breaking point and not break, Barclay says. And though this power is in us, it is not of us. 
Paul was so aware of this, wasn't he? He said in 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in jars of clay. He meant our flesh. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed, Paul said. We're perplexed. Anybody perplexed about world situations today? But he says we're not in despair. Oh, church, the world outside of these walls needs to see Christians who are not in despair. I mean, God's not pacing heaven's corridors, wringing his hands and and saying, what in the world are we going to do? God's got this under control. Paul said, we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. No, he said, because we have the surpassing power in these jars of clay in our human flesh, but it's power that belongs to God and comes from him. So he says, God has given us a spirit of fear. Uh, uh, God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power. Now, how many of you understand, step back away from this power thing and think about this. How many of you know that when there's power or boldness in our life, it's, it, it, it can sometimes, at least maybe some of us, can make us uh, brash or arrogant. Power, power by itself, unharnessed without governance, is really dangerous. Uh, uh, so this power, he said in verse 7, is not existing by itself. God just doesn't give us this power, but he gives us love. Do you see that in verse 7? Isn't it wonderful how God balances it out? God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, and, he says, of love. So we have this confidence in Christ in uncertain situations, but we temper that power, that confidence with love. Love here is, is agape. You know, that, that's the highest form. It's, it's selfless. It's, it's a sacrificial love. And what is important is that this faith is being expressed, this power is being expressed in love. Jesus calls us to that. In our world today, there's so many things that are counter to Christ and to what he calls us to. Amen? And so what can happen is we can find ourselves as a church saying we're not worried about that because God has not given us a spirit of fear. We know that God's in control. We have power through him. We're tapped into him. He's got this. But that can almost make the church disconnect from the culture. And we can kind of isolate ourselves and say, well, let the world perish. I know where I'm going. And God has not called us to that kind of a spirit. He's called us to not fear, to have confidence and power, his power. He's called us to love, church. He's called us to love. A seminary president wrote recently in difficult times, he said this, Christians should pray that when the country, speaking of America, looks back on this crisis, our fellow Americans will see this chapter in our history as one that reflects with great credit on the Lord we serve. And that's true because throughout history, 
the church has met unprecedented times with unparalleled love. The love of Christ. There are lots of examples in history. And I have one here, but I'm going to skip over all of those notes. Somebody could say amen right there. <laughs> like that. But let's just say this. Our, our dismissing fear because of our faith in God that's going to give us confidence in His power should not then serve as something that just says, you guys do whatever you want, I'm going to heaven. Jesus is going to call me out of this world one of these days. No, it should engage us in the world because the love of Christ compels us to do that. There's so much there I would really like to say. But the church of Jesus Christ, while we are the ecclesia, the called out ones, we are also the sent ones. Sent to the world. Jesus said, as my Father has sent me to the world, Remember this, so I send you. I think Brother Tim Keep preached about discipleship last week, didn't he? Is that right? And that's helping others follow Jesus as well. Amen. So God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Self-control. This word self-control means discipline. The word appears only here, the Greek word, uh, appears only here in, in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verse 7. You could translate this really as self-control, self-discipline. Some ver versions will say sound mind or discipline, sound judgment. One uh, inter interlinear Greek New Testament called it wise discretion. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discretion. Adam Clark commentary said the divinely enabled self-control gives the Christian a clear understanding so as to think, speak, and act aright in all things. I, I think the words here probably are balance, being balanced, being sensible, being rational, being sane. The word really means that as a Christian, we are in full control of our of our passions and our desires. And, and we're, not, we're not overreacting to situations. We're not underreacting to situations. We have God's power as our source, and we have His love as our motivator, and His Spirit that is guiding us. And the Spirit of God will always temper us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, Jesus said. Balanced. And that's what we need in our world, is we engage our culture today. I mean, you understand that we, we've had a few Christians that have just gone off the deep end and have really hurt the church and the cause of Christ with overreacting and saying extreme things that Christ would never want us to say or do. And, and I suppose that's being a little bit vague, and maybe you'd like for some illustrations, but I also know that lunch is waiting for you, and I don't want to. Don't want to mess that up. But this, this is teaching us how to live as Christians in a world that is, that is struggling, in a world that is confusing. But God said, you don't need to panic or wring your hands. I, I've called you 
as a Christian to live right side up in an upside down world. And I want to give you a mindset that will help you do that. I'm going to give you a spirit, a, fr a framework from operating. And it's not a spirit of cowardice in the circumstances. Rather, it's a, a spirit of confidence that God is in control. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for a mindset that's going to help me to have boldness and confidence in God, but also that that boldness will be tempered by love and guided by love. And that I'll have a spirit of self-control. That I will reflect Christ in a culture that really desperately needs to see Christ. The world says, uh, the word says, this is how Christians live. Right side up lives in an upside down world. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In the First World War, there was an officer who was leading back to the front a company of British soldiers who had been on furlough. And as they're marching back to the front, they're passing horrific scenes going through little villages and hamlets and towns that are scarred by war and, and rubble and ruin and really desolate. The cold rain had recently fallen and the road was trampled and muddy and these men are trudging along in formation as best they can and they knew what they were going back to, blood and terror and possibly death for many of them. Their shoulders sagged, none of them spoke or sang. The commanding officer who's responsible for leading, but also for morale for his troops, he's taking all of this in. And desiring to boost their courage, he sought for something on which they could focus, something that could redirect their attention and bring them back to have some courage and some confidence. And then he saw it. Marching past a bombed-out church building, his eyes happened to look through the gaping hole and behind the lectern, he saw the cross of Jesus high above the altar, the pulpit. And when he did, fresh courage filled his own tired soul. And like a voice of assurance, he turned to his company as he marched and he directed them to look where he was looking. And he said, eyes right, march. And they all who had been trudging along turned. And as they walked by that gaping hole, they saw the cross. And depressed and discouraged soldiers saw what the officer had seen, that in the midst of suffering, that Christ was triumphant. And the cross was empty and the tomb was empty. And Christ was king. And that very cause was what they were fighting for to promote that freedom for all. And that gave them courage and they squared their shoulders and marched on that day to the front. Yes, we live in challenging times. There's no question about that. And God has not called us to fear. Instead, he's given us a spirit, a spirit of power, and of love, and of self-control. And I pray that his word today will be realized in your life.
is in whatever way that you need this truth to be applied to you today. That as we conclude now, you will reach out to him in this moment of prayer. Will you bow your heads with me just for a time of reflection and response? Just before we go, what is what has the Spirit of God said to you this morning and what would you like to say to him in response? I'll give you a moment just to pray silently and then I will conclude our prayer time together. Father, we thank you for your word today. It is really, as the psalmist tells us, a lamp to our feet and a light unto our pathway. And our prayer today is that, Lord, this sure word from Paul's epistle to a young pastor, Timothy, will be a word for us today in the exact way in which we need it. As citizens of this world, we, are, we, are, we don't need reminders that we live in challenging times. And I pray that, Father, this sure word of the Lord will be a framework for us that we can know that we can live right side up in an upside down world. Father, I know that I, I stand in this pulpit today because uh, Lincoln County Church of God is seeking a pastor. And I know that that, certainly for a congregation who's been so blessed across the years, can cause some fear, some uncertainty. And my pastor's heart prays for them today. I pray that they will know that the chief shepherd is watching over them, that they are not alone, and that as the good shepherd always provides that you will do so. Let us not have a spirit of fear, but of confidence, of power, of love, and self-control. And then I pray for individuals here today, some who are awaiting a medical diagnosis, a test result, some who are concerned about the workage slowdown at their job. Some who are concerned about a relationship that is cooling off. Some who are concerned about a future that doesn't seem to be falling in place. I don't know, but you know. God, I pray that you will silence fear. That you will give us confidence. You will help us to be assured of your love. And that we can live in that spirit and that framework. I pray this in the name of Christ, who is our Lord. Amen.